if I focus on something, will I get it? Why? Is there something you want? Well, I was just thinking about what people call the law of attraction, which takes a couple different forms, but seems to generally say that the more I focus on, believe in, and visualize something, the more I can, you know, will it into existence. Is that true? Well, I think it depends. It depends on what? Depends on what you're focusing on. Oh, okay. Like, it won't work for a car, but it might work for an iPad. Oh, no, I don't think it would raise the statistical probability of you getting an iPad, but it might work for, say, something like cultivating the joy of mutual service and love. Oh, wow. So if I think about getting and receiving more love, then love will come to me? Well, I think it's actually more about intent, because if you're focusing on love just to get something out of it, are you really practicing love in the first place? Okay, okay. So if I'm genuinely practicing love toward others, loving people will come into my life. Hmm. Well, you'll certainly be attracting more loving company on a spiritual level. But as far as the physical people you're around, aren't there so many other factors, like their own decision-making process, mundane things like where you bought your house, where you got a job, and so on? All right, all right. I, I get it. But would you say, hmm, you know what? I think that this is getting complex enough that we should just do a whole episode of the show about it. What do you think? Mm, yeah, good call. Let's do it. Is there a large-scale principle of like attracts like? How does it operate? Can we use it for anything? And should we? Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg in Life. Today we're going to be looking at the law of attraction, and is it real, and how does it work? My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm your host, and with me as always is Swedenborg scholar Dr. Jonathan Rose, so nice to see you. Hey Curtis. And I think that the first thing someone might ask is, why bring Swedenborg into a discussion about the law of attraction? Well, at this moment, we're not actually bringing Swedenborg into the discussion right now. That's right, because he's always been there. Actually, the history of New Thought, which is the movement from which the law of attraction sprang, has had Swedenborgian involvement since the beginning. Mm. And understanding that history is critical. So let's get to his influence in a minute and kick things off with a little historical summary. Oh, I love summaries. Now, this is primarily drawn from John Haller's book, The History of New Thought, published by the Swedenborg Foundation. It's a great resource if you want to follow up some of the thoughts that we're expressing here today. Are you ready? Ready. Okay, take it away, Jonathan. Okay, so the New Thought movement grew out of a boom of interest, which dates all the way back to Swedenborg's day, in the idea that there's an invisible yet accessible power in the universe. There was this guy, Franz Anton Mesmer, 1734 to 1815, who started treating people with what he called animal magnetism. Animal magnetism? Yeah, that now this doesn't mean animal like an animal. It means uh, animal it means from the anima, meaning the soul. So it has to do having to do with the soul. Animal magnetism is what Mesmer called the cosmic force that he believed all living beings have that could be channeled into a person's body to promote healing. Okay, I see. And was it legit? Well, as a physical science, it did not bear out under investigation, but people did claim to be healed by the treatments. 
curiosity about it actually led to some of the earliest studies in the idea that belief affects our response to medical treatment. Oh, okay, so like the placebo effect. Exactly. People became hugely fascinated with whether our own thoughts or mind power could induce healing. The 19th century saw an explosion of interest in the idea that there's a realm of power and causality right here available to be tapped into, even through our own minds. It makes sense that people wanted to understand how it works. Right, right. Like, what is it like? Can it be harnessed? Yeah, so this is actually when you have the beginning of the field of psychology as a discipline and area of study, and, unfortunately, a whole lot of pseudoscience. Okay, so, so Mesmer was German, right? Was this mostly happening in Europe? And what about America? Yes, it was huge in Europe, and the early cultural environment of America was like hot coals for the sparks of these ideas to set aflame. Charles Poyen, or Charles Poyen, was a mesmerist who visited America in 1836. He inspired Phineas Parker's Quimby, who in turn inspired two influential names of the period. In 1863, Quimby cures Warren Felt Evans and Mary Baker Eddy. Evans, who was a Swedenborgian minister, goes on to open a mind-cure sanitarium in New England and supports the development of the field of psychology. Mary Baker Eddy is a name you might recognize as the founder of the Christian science movement. Oh, yeah, 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 right. And not longer after that, you begin to see use of the term the law of attraction in books and articles. It was written about in much the same way we hear about it today, that thoughts are attracted to similar thoughts, that thinking sends out vibration, and that we can use the power of our will to achieve success and happiness. These ideas quickly became mainstream, and then over the course of the 20th century, they're entirely woven into our public sphere, whether from a secular, spiritual, or overtly religious standpoint. And now today, we have ongoing research into positive psychology and the power of mindfulness. Nice summarizing. You too. So beliefs in mind power are still strong and appealing. The idea that the mind can cure disease and has the power to attract material prosperity. You know, like in that movie, The Secret. It gives the impression that our minds can be in total control and that we have ultimate self-agency in the world. But is that really true? Mm. This perspective may have good intentions, but it might also have harmful logical conditions. Right, such as if there's bad things happening in our lives, then that has to be our fault, mm. right? Right, right. Like if if you can actually think and will your way into greater wealth or something, or greater physical health or a better relationship or something like that, the fact that you're unhappy in your relationship or you don't have enough money or you've lost the job or something must seem like I am doing it wrong. I'm not doing it right. You know. Yeah. The, so. And think about the potential guilt if you have some kind of terminal illness and mm. people are saying like, you could be there for your family if you just were thinking more positively or, or you caused this in, in the first place. Yeah, right, right. It reminds me of the book of Job where Job has these terrible problems. There's all kinds of problems happen yeah. to him at once. And his friends come and basically tell him, it's your fault. You know, this is a reward of wickedness. And yeah. Job is saying, I'm not wicked. And the wicked sometimes thrive and prosper, you know, so like, That's right. you know, it's not quite a one-to-one. -one. Okay. So we've got complications, but underlying that, there does seem to be a principle that Swedenborg describes that is much like the law of attraction. So True. I, I want to take a look at his convergence with that line of thinking in part one. So 
So now you know a little history of the New Thought movement, and we're not the first people to say that Swedenborg explicitly has had good explanations for aspects of that movement. He's actually had pretty well-known influence throughout. Here's a little timeline of events. In 1773, Mesmer began treating people with animal magnetism, and in 1787, the Exegetic Philanthropic Society, which was an explicitly Swedenborgian society, issues a circular letter claiming that Swedenborg's teachings give the basis by which animal magnetism works. And moving on from there, in 1808, the German professor Johann Jung proposed an explanation of mesmerism from a Swedenborgian basis. And then sometime in the first half of the 20th century, Horatio Dresser, who was a New Thought leader and Swedenborgian, wrote an unpublished manuscript entitled The Psychology and Philosophy of Emanuel Swedenborg. But last and most notably, there was in 2017 us doing this show, which I'm sure will be noted in future anthologies and, and history books on the future of important things. So you have this influence of Swedenborg and people pointing to Swedenborg to say, well, you know this thing that everyone says is working. Swedenborg tells you why it works. So if he's that involved where there's smoke, is there fire? Does Swedenborg advocate the law of attraction? Does he say that it's real and that it works? Yes-ish. I mean, he says that there is a law of attraction that is functioning and is a deterministic factor, but it's in the spiritual world. We're going to take a look at how that affects the physical world in a moment, but let's explore this principle that he saw operating all over the, the other side, or through the veil, and he actually says it's reflected in some very famous biblical passages. The first one is in Exodus, where it says, if, and you've probably all heard this before, if harm is done, you shall give soul for soul, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, wound blow for blow, this retributive justice. Also in Matthew, the golden rule, do nothing to another but what you want others to do to you. And Swedenborg says that there was a very specific reason why these verses and these concepts popped up. He talks about it in Secrets of Heaven 8223. These laws trace their origin to the universal law, never changing and never ending in the spiritual world, that you should not do to others except as you want others to do to you. And he continues in Secrets of Heaven 9049. Such is the law of the spiritual world. People who do heartfelt good to another in that world receive the same good in return. So people who do heartfelt evil to another receive the same evil in return. Heartfelt good carries its own reward, and heartfelt evil carries its own punishment. That is the source of heaven for the good and of hell for the evil. So not just that it plays a role, but this is actually where heaven and hell come from is a manifestation of that law. And for something that fundamental and that important, we should really dig a little more into how does this work? Why does the spiritual world operate in that way? And what are the underlying forces driving it? This is from Swedenborg's Secrets of Heaven 9049. When people in the spiritual realm do good from the heart, good from heaven flows into their heart and soul from all sides, stirring them vigorously to action. At the same time, their feeling of love for the neighbor to whom they are doing good increases, and as this sensation grows, so does their pleasure, which is an indescribable heavenly joy. The reason this happens is that a loving goodness from the Lord reigns supreme in heaven, exerting a constant influence, and the more it is exhibited towards others, the more influence it exerts. The situation is the same with evil. 
When people do evil to another from the heart, evil from hell flows into their heart from all sides, goading them fiercely to action. At the same time, their feeling of love for themselves increases, and as it grows, so does the pleasure of hatred and revenge against anyone who does not submit to them. The reason this happens is that the evil of self-love reigns supreme in hell, exerting a constant influence, and the more it is exhibited towards others, the more influence it exerts. When that happens, disciplinarians immediately show up and treat the culprits roughly, which curbs their wickedness and the pleasure they take in it. The reason it works this way is that the laws ordained for the other life are not taught from books and stored in the memory, as happens with people in the world. Instead, they are written on the heart. So it's these positive feedback loops that drive this association, and through that, the experience that people have in that world. And Swedenborg, actually, there's this fascinating, not quite humorous, but quirky example that he gives where it's showing that evil spirits are making life worse for themselves through the bad stuff that they're doing. This is from his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, 4334. He says, I spoke with evil spirits who are constantly attacking me, and attacking people on earth, and attacking good spirits, saying that they are insane. So he's telling these guys, why? You're attacking everything that moves. What's wrong with you? They endeavor to make and want everyone to be infernal spirits, leading them away from goodness and from mutual love into the love of themselves, thus into hatred against all. So these evil spirits wanted nothing more than to corrupt people. But the more spirits they can make to be like themselves, and this is the kicker, the greater is the number of those who torment them. So they are constantly preparing a hell for themselves. But if they would not be like this, but would want all to be upright and good, then they would procure blessedness for themselves. For the good desire nothing more than to share with others, and thus with them all their blessedness, so they would be preparing themselves for themselves a heaven. So because of the way this spiritual law of attraction works, these evil spirits are working hard to try to make everybody miserable by corrupting them and getting them into evil. But because they're creating all these other evil spirits through their actions, through leading people astray, then those, they, because this like attracts like, they attract those people that they've corrupted towards them. And since everybody's bent on evil, those people end up making the evil spirits' lives miserable because they all start attacking each other and deploying their skills on each other. So Swedenborg is saying, if you would stop, not only would you stop harming people, you'd be making your own life better because you keep trying to get people to be this thing that ends up coming right back on you. And isn't that, isn't that the nature of the harmful things we've done, They're so, that we do? They're so impulsive that the consequences outweigh any benefits we feel like we're getting, but yet we do it just because we're so infatuated with, I've, I've got to be right, or I've got to be first, or I want that thing. So you can see here it playing out in this just very vivid and, and clear way, and it all happening because of this like attracts like that, that Swedenborg describes. You think about the way that spiritual company is built. You have heartfelt good, as it said in that number. When somebody is doing heartfelt good to another, that creates almost an atmosphere. Swedenborg talks about literal atmospheres coming out of people and of actions that draws the people who are participating in the same kind of love towards you. And people who are participating in heartfelt love are what we call angels. And that's exactly who you want to have around you. And you continue to forge those connections as you do the same kind of things that they like to do. It's like an interest group that's built. On the flip side, 
if we are intentionally harming people for our own gain, you attract around you people who want to do the same thing. And they're not going to say, hey, we love you because you want to do the same thing. They're going to see you as a potential target. And so through that, there is this uh, there is this retribution, there is this association that brings good to people who are doing good and brings evil to people who are doing evil, not because of an arbitrary allotment by God. You did that, here's, here's a, a ticket for you, you get a reward. It's just because that's that's like gravity in the spiritual world. That just is how good and evil operate. They naturally bring themselves back on the person. And because if you're doing good, you are drawing angels to you, if your overall purpose is good, even if you make mistakes, angels are very forgiving about mistakes. So it's not that, oh, I'm trying to be a good person, I did one screw up, so now I've got all these evil spirits around. No, it's about your overall intent. So even the mistakes are better if you get in with better and better company. So you you might wonder, why, why, do the, why does the spiritual world operate like this in the first place? Why are these laws here? Swedenborg says that not, it's not just about like, okay, well, that seems fair. They're essential to maintaining balance. He talks about it in Secrets of Heaven 967. He says, everything in the other world, the spiritual world, is balanced in such a way that evil punishes itself. Otherwise, evil spirits, and this is why, otherwise evil spirits would infest communities of good people and inflict violence on the system of order established by the Lord, which ensures the welfare of the universe. Again, the insanity of evil. They're trying to destroy the mechanism that that upholds the universe. So obviously, you can't have that happening. This law is a protection there. And then further from Spiritual Experiences 4206, it is so established that every evil punishes itself, and thus that evil itself ought to erase itself. Such is the order, and this is called permission, which is nevertheless a universal law, just as it is also that mutual love rewards itself, and that it shall be done to us as we would do to another. It's called permission because God is not interested in anybody being punished by evil. God is not saying, ah, you got what you deserve, but this is how it has to go because the nature of evil is is thoughtless and destructive. And they would, evil spirits, Swedenborg says, and as we saw in that earlier number, they would destroy themselves. They are constantly trying to do things that would destroy themselves. So God is giving them the best life they can have. And part of that, there needs to be this law of Good attracts good, evil attracts evil. It's really for the good of everyone. Mm. So it seems like there really is a pronounced phenomenon that you could call a law of attraction in the spiritual world. Yeah. Swedenborg uh, recounts seeing this thing operating you know, very obviously and, and driving almost everything in the spiritual world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it translates directly into the physical world, mm. because the physical and spiritual worlds are distinct from each other, Yeah, that's right. and they operate by their own set of laws, uh, only crossing over through very structured forms that Swedenborg called mm. correspondences. Yeah, that's right. And so the fact that there are laws in the spiritual world that it operates according to, there are laws in this world that this world operates according to. Yeah. And some of those are just laws like gravity and so on uh, that are not negotiable. It doesn't matter what you're thinking. Gravity is just gravity. Or yeah. like the hurricane that we recently went through here, uh, th- there's low pressure, there's water temperature, there's yeah. just there's just things, it's just going to happen. There's going to be a storm. 
you know. Yeah, that there is an interface between physical and spiritual, but but it's very, as I said, it's very specific and very ordered how yes, it goes. So that's right. It's not just that that anything spiritual shines through directly. That's why this the experience we have here is so different, and also that that here uh, on the thoughts and feelings side, which Wittenborg says this that is spiritual. Right. We are getting this mix while we're in this world from both heaven and hell. So the things that we think and even feel are not always things that we would choose. It, it, sometimes we're just stuck with them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so hasn't everybody had the experience of just being in a mood you don't want to be in or something like yeah, that? Right now, I you am. know. So how <laughs> how much control do you have uh, over those kind of things to yeah. be able to try to shape your your reality? And in fact, the the ups and downs Swedenborg says are actually necessary and they're good for our growth. You know, there's humility and compassion that you learn in the downswing and so on. So if you were able somehow to eliminate those, or if you feel like you're a bad person because you're, you know, feeling sad yeah, about something right. or that you're depressed or something like that, and maybe that's benefiting us in some way. I like that phrase you just used, shape your reality. Mm. That how much are we, is that really the goal? Swedenborg would say that it's actually about divine providence. It's mm. about that the only divine love and wisdom really know what's best for us, which brings up the question, is it actually good for us to get everything we want? You know, if, if there's these ideas mm. that we can get out there and get what we want, would that really turn out best for us in are, the end? Are children sometimes spoiled by getting everything that they desire? And yes, it, we are. It, is that a whole different rule for adults? Yeah. You know, like it's good for adults to get everything they want or something like that. Yeah. And it also, the way it has a weird um, suggestion about our interaction with God in the sense that it's almost like the Aladdin's lamp idea that you've right. got God in a little box and you can just rub the lamp and God will come out and do whatever you want. You know, is that how that works? It seems yeah. like that's a, a fantasy that it's important, the idea that God is actually more powerful and we're humble yeah. in the presence of God. Yeah, just, just speaking from experience, it seems like that we've got some issues here. So there must be some level of complexity that we're dealing with here. It's not as simple as go, here's a tool to get anything you want, and that solves all the problems of life. So what what is that complexity, and does Swedenborg offer any insight that can help us to navigate mm. that? We'll see in part two. So there's something beautiful about this idea and the idea that thought and feeling shapes our reality and so on. It's attractive and it's true in the spiritual world, but there are problems with it, aren't there? Aren't there problems that there are things that happen to people, don't bad things sometimes happen to good people? Uh, it's not just sort of your fault that you've stubbed your toe or that you've got a cold or whatever it is or that this weather event happened. And, and so how did things get off track. What happened to that law of attraction idea? And and where did the wrinkles come in? Well, there was this little event that we went through called the 20th century. And there were a couple of world wars that happened in there. And from the time of the First World War through the end of the Second World War, there was this interesting rise 
of emphasis on materialism, the sort of individualism, the, the self-centeredness even, and so on, That and the law of attraction started to play into this. And you can see this in a way from the books that people were writing at the time. It's fascinating. Look at these things. Robert Collier writes a book called The Secret of Gold, How to Get What You Want. In 1927, 1947, he writes, Be Rich, The Science of Getting What You Want. Napoleon Hill writes, uh, among other things, Think and Grow Rich. There it is in a nutshell, right? So it's harnessing the power of thought and feeling, but it's using it for purely material gain. Napoleon Hill also writes about success through a positive mental attitude in 1960. He had the famous Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People and the famous Norman Vincent Peale and his Power of Positive Thinking, which came out in 1952. So during this period, there was a lot of emphasis going on in how to harness this law of attraction, the power of the mind, in order to literally just become, you know, put dollars in the bank kind of thing. Uh, In Swedenborg's framework of the mind, we have these different loves. And I love what he says about this. At first, when I read this, I thought, I don't, is that really the way that it is? There are just four different types of love. But when you look at it, uh, the more time I've spent with this, the more profound it gets, that there are these four categories of love. And by the way, if you want to know more about these, we talked about these in other shows that we did, a show about the... um, universal categories of love, and also a longer form video on the four categories of love. And in a nutshell, their love of God, which is at the top, ideally, then love of the neighbor, and these are the two kind of selfless, outward-facing loves. And then there are two others, the love of the world and the love of self. What Swedenborg means by the love of the world, as you'll hear in those videos as well, is not, oh, I love that sunset, or oh, the beach is so pretty. Uh, Love of the world is really about material gain. It's about your wealth and your possessions and so on, sort of amassing your thing. And this is something that drives a lot of people, isn't it? And then love of self is really that ego thing. There are some people who don't care that much about the money, but if they're, you know, faces on on screen or something like that. Maybe that's what drives me. Um, That's the important thing. That's what the highest good is. So what happened over time was that people tended to get focused on these lower two loves. You can see how that would happen, that the law of attraction was harnessed to be able to say, oh, I want this in order to improve my own situation. I want more physical pleasure in my life. I want more wealth. I want a better circumstance for myself. And I'll use this law of attraction to get there. The problem is, from what we've just learned about the spiritual law of attraction, that when these loves, the lower ones, you know what I mean? The love of self and the love of the world, when these are dominant... They're actually, even though we don't realize it, spiritually bringing in influences that we don't want, and they're subtly making us more focused on ourselves, less focused on others. We're not thinking about necessarily blessing others. That's not on the uppermost of our mind. We're thinking about, I need this. So even when we're doing something quite positive, like we're, we're visualizing that you know we really need a car so we can get to our job and so on, there can be things lurking behind that in our motivations that we're not aware of. And when those things are being siphoned in, that can actually block, it can have the opposite of the desired effect. It can actually block 
the inflow of joy from heaven into ourselves. And we are supposed to, by the design of things, be a conduit for that joy into other people's lives. And so if we get blocked up, then we're not radiating joys to others in the way that we might. It can become a self-centered exercise. Uh, Swedenborg talks about people in the spiritual world who were totally innocent of the fact that they were they were just ha- having friends and hanging out and doing things that they thought were, were fun, but it was having a negative effect on others, including Swedenborg himself. Let's look at this spiritual experiences 4439. Swedenborg says, high overhead, there are societies which should be called societies of friendship who live amicably among themselves, thus in the pleasure of of friendship, but not in the pleasure and blessedness of mutual love. Now, let's pause and contemplate that for a little second. The pleasure of friendship, aren't they the same thing? Mutual love, aren't friends, don't you love each other and all that? But there was something different that was going on there. Actually, love for one another was not the highest thing. There was something a little self-centered about it, even though these people didn't realize it. So the quote continues, They have with them an almost flaming light and very many pleasures that they enjoy together with other delights. They had been with me or above me two or three times when it was granted me to learn the source of their pleasure. Whenever they come, wherever they come, they divert the enjoyments of others toward themselves, and those whom they deprive of them are then in darkness and in misery. They don't realize they're sort of vacuuming up all the joy from the surrounding area, and others are going into misery and darkness as a result. They said that they were unaware of this but that it was proven to them to be the case. They likewise took away my delight, and I was then plunged into darkness and gloom, which increased in proportion as their pleasure increased. I spoke with them and reproached them. You know, Swedenborg got in their face a little bit. Hey, what are you doing? You know, you're taking my joy away. I was informed that this was the nature of the pleasure of friendship when it is not the pleasure of mutual love. Ah, you see, when it's friendship, but it's not primarily about mutual love, meaning that I love you as much or more than I love myself. This shows the state of those in the other life who love their companions above all others. Like if you're part of the it group, if you're part of the clique, the in group, you know, then you're okay. But what was the reason behind it? But only for the sake of pleasure. And still more, what those immersed in self-love are like, who deprive all others of their pleasure, diverting it to themselves, for which reason they're separated. They, they just can't, you know, like a little child who's having a tantrum, can't be with the other kids. You know, they've got to be separated from others because they're taking everybody's joy away. And when they come toward an angelic society, they sink down like a heap of earth or a weight So you see that people who are using the law of attraction in this way are not necessarily coming from a dark and evil place. We saw earlier in the show that you can have people who are coming from a good place and that's drawing something good in, and people who are coming from an evil place and that's drawing something evil in. But the law of attraction is still operative even if we don't realize what our motivations are. We think we're hanging out, we're having fun and so on. I'm sure you have known people in the course of your lives who uh, 
are kind of like a black hole, you know, people like that who just, they don't realize they're doing it, but they sort of suck all the oxygen out of the room or something. Uh, they're, they're kind of a drain. And people don't realize this, but that law of attraction is still having this effect. Swedenborg goes on about this experience in, in a similar part of spiritual experiences here. They said that it was not pleasing to them that this happens to me, saying that they were unaware that I'm there. That's what is taking place with human beings, but that as soon as they notice something delightful, they seize it and are joyful among themselves. They offered their excuses. They were good. But through speaking with them, I was informed that they were societies of friendship, quite sincere among themselves, but did not love others more than themselves like angels. But it is otherwise in the case of angelic spirits who love the neighbor more than themselves, for it is only the love of self, the existence of which they're ignorant among themselves, that has this effect and produces this behavior. Swedenborg actually says that the love of self hides and sort of holds the door shut so that we won't find it. So we can have things lurking in our spirit that we don't even realize are there. This is why self-examination is so important to be able to recognize these things so that we can get on the right side of the law of attraction and be bringing in the right thing. These poor people were not even realizing they were drawing all the light and all the joy. And you notice what was driving them. You know, it was fun to be with their friends, but what about people who are outside of the circle of their friends. They're not thinking about them. They're just thinking about their friends and the fun of hanging out and the pleasures. And as soon as they think something, they see something joyful, they can't resist it. They just pounce on it and they don't realize, whoops, oh, you just took my light away, dude. You know, uh, but they're having that effect because of the law of attraction. And it actually has the effect of like darker and darker clouds coming in. I read a book a while ago by Jill Bolte-Taylor called My Stroke of Insight. She was a neurologist who then had a stroke and found that she had no recollection of who people were, couldn't recognize her own mother. All that she knew was that there were some people who come to her bedside who would just suck the life out of her, and there were others who would give her energy. And she just wanted to be with people who gave her energy, and she would try to close her eyes and protect herself from those who were drawing it away. And so it's important for us to think about, hey, are we a cloud? Are we a dark cloud or a light cloud? Are we transmitting light to others? Or are we actually blocking their fun? Because we can be inadvertently self-centered about this. It's so important to have the Lord be in charge rather than our own self-love. This is a key part of understanding uh, the law of attraction. And Swedenborg says a fascinating thing about this idea of like draws like. In Heaven and Hell 383, he says, like are drawn toward like, not by their own will, but by the Lord. This is amazing to me. It's almost as if the Lord himself is the ultimate law of attraction. And so the Lord is the one who's bringing people together. Uh, he's the one who's associating like with like. And so he's the one, and it's good that he's doing that because he's aware of what lies within our spirits. So we can figure out if things are, you know, if we're drawing the wrong thing into ourselves, uh, examine that and look at that so that we can do a better job next time. It's a gradual process. Process, but we can start to siphon in something more positive over time. And an essence of this, if the Lord is the true law of attraction, then we need to be smaller than the Lord. Do we not? 
it needs to be that our self is smaller. So, uh, you know, what people did back in the day was humble prayer, right? Uh, that's how you would try to, you know, have something, but thy will be done kind of thing. And so it's so important for us to have humility. And therefore, Swedenborg says there's actually a principle that operates here where you may want something, you may desire it, you may visualize it, you may use all that stuff to try to get that thing to materialize. It may be a very good thing that you're desiring, but often the Lord will leave a little gap between your prayer and the fulfillment of that thing. There were even people in the spiritual world who were told, yes, we know that this is what you desire. The only thing standing in the way is the fact that you're desiring it so much. You need to let go a little bit, be a little humble, leave a little compassion, leave some room. Because then when the Lord answers your prayer, it's not like, hey, I rubbed the magic lamp and I got the genie to do exactly what I want. No, it's that, oh, thank you, Lord. I really wanted that. I needed it. I could see that maybe I don't deserve it or something. But it's such a blessing that this is coming into my life. So that humility is such an essential piece mm. to the whole thing. Yeah, that's right. It really seems to make a huge difference whether we're leading ourselves, the way Swedenborg expresses it, You know, meaning that your own self-interest, your own lower self, your... Uh, physical desires or desire for wealth are running the show as opposed to being led by divine providence. Yeah, that's one of the primary dichotomies or struggles that Swedenborg set up, the, the mm-hmm. desire for us to be led by something that is limited and self-focused versus this universal love that God has that mm. actually carries heaven and heavenly joy with it. So it's almost like making that switch over to, no, 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 I... Rather than what I want right now, I know that what the divine wants is actually better for everyone, including right. myself, and, and right. my joy in it is that I know it's making other people happy. That's like sort of when we start really waking up. That's true. That's the real win-win rather than a zero-sum game. And it doesn't matter how, even if you're using know this spiritual side of a, the law of attraction, mm. and you're using it for selfish reasons, right. it still doesn't turn out well. Swedenborg actually talks about a spirit mm. who was trying to do this. This is from Spiritual Experiences 4414. He says, one devoted to magic wanted to become good by his own power in order to rule over others. Discovering this device, meaning this, this, this law of attraction, that he summons certain good spirits to himself. <laughs> and kept them around him so that they would make him good. (laughs) But this turned for him into a hell, for his purpose was by that means to commit evil. And he was then pressed down more toward the lower regions, out of which he was unable to lift himself. Mm. Because purpose trumps everything. It doesn't. I know the rules. Oh, if you get good spirits around you, that's good for you. You're going to turn good. good. It doesn't matter if you get the good spirits around you. If the intent is for selfish... Um, promotion and, as it said, to rule over other. If the intent is evil, the action becomes evil. That's right. And so the the thought comes from a desire, and the nature of that desire really shapes how that whole law of attraction is working for you. But so I have a question, like, uh, is there a way? Are there ways that we can, even though the law of attraction is truly, you know, operative in the spiritual world, and that there it's an absolute law, but but uh, uh, that governs everything. But yeah. are there ways that we can use that, that we can harness that here? Yeah, like how do, how do we, can it work positively for us and, and how can it do it? We're going to take a look into that in part three.
So if we're here saying that the law of attraction is really a spiritual principle that operates in the spiritual world, and there's a lot of ways you can misuse it while you're here, is there anything good we can actually get out of it? Is there any way to be leveraging this principle to make life better here, or should you just throw away the whole pursuit? No, there is plenty of good use for people in this world through this principle, and really the key to all of it, the the thing that defines you're using this in a good way is recenter the desires instead of on temporal or power-based things to what really matters from a spiritual or an eternal perspective. These are the kinds of things that mutual love desires. It's things that are actually conducive to your spiritual welfare and the good of the human race. And when we, that's like, we could call it aligning with the heavenly flow. And when we do that, there's all kinds of good stuff that can happen for us. This is from Secrets of Heaven 9174. The more an angel gives to another in a spirit of neighborly love, the more the giver receives as an influence from heaven as a whole, or in other words, from the Lord. In giving to one who asks then, an angel is not deprived of possessions, but is enriched with them. The same is true for us as well. When we do good to another in a spirit of of neighborly love. So as we push this goodness out, more and more goodness flows in. It's like, you know that song, love is something, do people still sing that? Love is something if you give it away. It's like a magic penny. That song doesn't make any sense. Like, pennies don't operate that way. If you spend a penny, you get more money. You had to just throw this word magic on there, but that's exactly how it works with this joy, that the more you give away, the more you get. And the the key is you're not giving away just to get more, but you're giving away because you really care about what you're doing. This flow, we align more and more. This is attracting the whole of heavenly love and joy to you through this simple act of wanting to give joy to somebody else. And there's two easy ways to participate in this heavenly flow. It's first to make spiritual goals primary and earthly goals secondary. Remember, Jonathan talked about the ordering of these different loves in us. It's not that you're not supposed to have any desire to have good material things provided for yourself and your family. It's not that you don't care at all about yourself or your persona or reputation. It's just that those are not the primary goal and they don't overrule the higher and better things. Those lower things can serve as means to the end. So if we are able to put things in their order, and we have everything looking towards the good of the human race, then you're in great shape. Check out our show, How to Live in Eternity Now, for some tips on that. Also, if you're looking for ways to serve and give rather than seeking to always get what you want, believe it or not, that will get you what you want, but you have to learn the genuine desire to give and do well. If you want, and of course, that's a lot of people are looking for that, but we have a couple of tips in our episode, How to Love And you know, it's got to be wise giving. It's not just, oh, I have a car, I really need it, I've got money, well, I'll just give it away, and now do I... You you do need to think about what's prudent. How do I give in a way so that I'm actually doing good, but also that I'm not depriving myself of the ability to to do good? Because if we make ourselves totally destitute through giving away all of our possessions or giving ourselves of ourselves too much emotionally so that we become a wreck, then we're not actually looking out long-term for how we can be most effective. So there, it's not being a doormat, but it's about being as wise and loving as we can. Again, yeah, the show How to Love is about that. And understand that earthly comfort levels are going to fluctuate. It's not that you can hook into this thing 
and then your car is never going to break down. But there can what we can get that can actually be even better than material security is this level of trust in events as they unfold and that they are unfolding for good. And it's actually this trust that is part of the heavenly peace that we're looking for. This is Secrets of Heaven 8455. Within peace, you see, lies trust in the Lord. Trust that He is in complete charge, takes care of everything, and leads it to a good ending. When we believe this, we are at peace, because we then fear nothing and have no worries about the future to disturb us. So you could picture, oh, if, if I had $45 million and I had really good insurance and I had multiple copies of everything, is that piece really as good as the piece that Swedenborg just talked about? That no matter what happened, because e- even your yacht can break down, but there we're, we're learning and eternal, internalizing and believing that this is going to be okay. Swedenborg says that he got to taste that and that that is the, the best state of life that we can live in. And then further from Secrets of Heaven 6303, when the Lord is with someone, he leads that person and provides that every event, whether sad or happy, turns to that person's benefit. That is what divine providence is. And divine providence is constant. It's always operating. It's not that it's going to set up things that will make, will make sure that tomorrow is a great day, but it's that in the long run, in eternity, things are working to bring us this permanent heavenly happiness And the more that we can have that trust, the more that the outer circumstances in our lives have less power over us. The same thing can happen, but our mindset on it can completely change the level of suffering that we have around it. I often think of the, I know we're using money as a proxy in a lot of these examples, but it's good because it's sort of like the, the physical equivalent of divine care, or at least we imagine it to be so. But if I knew that in two months, I was going to have unlimited money. I wouldn't be worried if I got a speeding ticket because I thought, okay, I'll pay it now. Everything's going to be fine in the future. That is actually happening in terms of joy, peace, and fulfillment. That while things are fluctuating now, divine providence is pulling us towards this infinity of all those things. And we get those not through wanting them, but through wanting to serve and help other members of the human race. Good can come even from hardship, even from things it doesn't seem like it could come from. And actually, that trusting and helping is actually the way that we heal ourselves as we're, as we're healing others. And this is what something that modern psychology is finding out. There's a Huffington Post article that, said that entitled, 10 Facts That Prove Helping Others is a Key to Achieving Happiness. This is not something that has no, uh, that has no indications or, or symptoms in a way that we can measure. And you can think about it, you know, Swedenborg says everything in the physical world is a correspondence or a representation of something spiritual. You know how salmon swim upstream, right? They have to go all the way up these rivers. Actually, the current going the other way provides them leverage, that if they know just how to swim, so they're actually using the water as it moves in the other direction to get purchase to move upstream. In that same way, God can be using anything in our lives to bring us closer and closer towards the goal of of a beautiful mind, of, of happiness and peace. Everything we're trying to find through money, through power, through the things that we try to pursue. And it's just about, and you're not going to be able to do it all the time. I don't, I'm not to the place where I always trust everything, certain things like, what, that, that is going to help? I don't think so. But the more that we can get that in, the more immune we become to harm, the more life becomes joy, the more we get into this place that really we were designed to be in. And that 
seems like a pretty good use of the law of attraction to me. Mm. So even though it takes work, it seems like the spiritual laws Swedenborg describes set out a great course of action for us. Yeah, absolutely. And just so that we don't forget that course of action to solidify it in our minds, let's go to our wrap-up. Swedenborg has been involved in the conversation around new thought and the law of attraction since its beginnings, and he does describe a principle of like attracting like in the spiritual world. In a reflection of famous biblical passages, including the golden rule, good done from the heart in the spiritual world attracts heavenly company, while evil done from the heart brings us into closer proximity to hell. This is essential to maintaining balance spiritually, but this same instant balancing doesn't directly manifest in the physical world. While these spiritual principles can be great compass points, they can become problematic if we invert the order, putting ourselves and our advancement as the goal ahead of giving to the greater good. Swedenborg actually found that communities in the spiritual world that valued their own delight more than others inadvertently stole joy away from other spirits. In the end, it's only through cooperation with the universal love of divine providence that these principles can be effective, both for ourselves and for others. That said, aligning with the love of heaven can be as simple as putting spiritual goals and mutual love first, looking in the end to serve rather than exclusively be served. And while leveraging this spiritual law of attraction won't guarantee consistently cushy physical world experiences, it is gradually associating us with the most spiritually powerful and beneficial forces that exist. And I love that idea of, you know, slowly bringing heaven around you and just all the, mm. t- the tertiary benefits that, that, that would kind of trickle down uh, into your soul and, and into your life. That's right. There's something about the way that some people have approached the law of attraction that's kind of instant gratification. And I like the fact that Swedenborg's message is more about the long game. Yeah. So we're going to... I think wrap it up here. I mean, I feel like I've said everything that I, I want to say. It's, it's a powerful idea, and hopefully, uh, you know, I can continue to work it more and more into my life. Uh, we're going to get to one of your excellent questions, but first, here's a couple of thank yous. All right, that's our show. Thanks so much, everybody, for watching. If you want to help us spread on YouTube, please consider liking and subscribing. And if you are subscribed, click the bell and make sure you turn on get notifications so that YouTube really tells you when we put out something that you may or may not be interested in. And if you want to be a co-creator of this show, I know people use that word, if you want to help make this possible, consider supporting us on Patreon. This is where you could be giving just a dollar per show. And as a thanks from us to you, we'd be giving you behind the scenes content. We'll have a little more from, I just got to go on this awesome trip to London to speak at a conference about Swedenborg, and there'll be more about that here. So if you want to uh, check it out, we'd we'd be so grateful. All right, now we're going to get to one of your questions. This is from Mary. Do our guardian angels choose us, or does God make the choice for us? I feel like this ties in interesting ways into the material that we've been discussing today. Yeah, there was that one point that the it's the Lord that brings us together and that yeah. kind of thing. So that, that's sort of an interesting answer to it. And as far as I know, Swedenborg doesn't talk much about exactly how y- you get hooked up with, with people, yeah. you know, uh, do they choose us? Does God make the choice? Uh, I am drawn to the idea that I've heard some people just say out of, you know, ideas that they have. Uh, that it's people who, uh, it's angels who have worked on similar issues, oh, yeah. or even spirits who are working on similar issues now, kind right. of thing. Some people think it may be family members or relatives who are, you know, working yeah. on on similar 
kinds of things. Um, they have similar heredity to you. It does make perfect sense to me that the Lord would not miss an opportunity that it would benefit both sides. You know, that yeah. the, 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 the guardian angels would get something. They're not just giving, even though that's their whole focus, yeah. but they're also receiving something and they're growing as a process of who they're, they're taking care of. You know, the same thing kind of thing happens in this world where you're mentoring people and so yeah. on. How does that happen? How do you, yeah. you know? Well, and I'm wondering if it's a little bit of a trick question because... Swedenborg will say that angels don't want any credit for anything that they do. That's when, right. When, when they do something that's true or good, they say, no, that's that's the Lord's truth and goodness coming through. So even if it, like, what does it mean for the Lord to pick something? It could well be that, you know, an angel is going somehow selecting and feeling like they're selecting on their own, but knowing that this is divine love and uh-huh. wisdom. Because what is being an angel is just becoming more and more of a clear, con- more and that's more right. in partnership with God. So is it that... That God is choosing, but from an outside perspective, it might look like an angel is choosing, and the angel would say, "Like, no, I, I didn't, make, I didn't make any good choice. I mean, this is God. God does all, all things, right?" That's right, and I would think it must be the case that that God does it because, uh, you know, like in every little child's game where you're. Um, trying to assign, you know, there's that kid who's left at the end that nobody wants on their team. And uh, yeah. it's so sad, you know, isn't yeah. it? But uh, we got over uh, it. You know, the Lord is going to take sure, make sure. Swedenborg says everybody has two angels with them. And and uh, so I think the that doesn't happen in the, yeah. you know, the, the spiritual and game. And you can't know, you can't have the wisdom. To, if you think about an angel-person partnership and the the... Uh, importance and the complexity of what needs to be accomplished mm, there, yeah. you're not going to know if you're the right one to do it or not. Right. Even if you're an angel, you could never know like all the subtleties of every moment of interaction. It's got to be divine wisdom, yeah. but but That's not right. just, here's a decree. There's there's probably some participation and a willingness that has to be... Yeah. Like, it's like, it feels like you're doing it together, but there's a lot of like divine stuff behind the scenes, you know? The way that things so often happen is that the that I imagine that angel would feel like it was their idea, you know, like yeah. I am really longing, even praying to the Lord, say, I'd really like to work with this person or something like that, when it's really the Lord's idea that he's planted in their heart or something, yeah. because that's so often the way things work, that it's by that, you know, by that your your own uh, feeling of autonomy, that I want to be part of this. Absolutely. That, that the more, he says, the more we become angelic, the more we feel like we're our own, that's but right. also realize our partnership with God simultaneously. So that's got to be in play there. So those are a couple of our thoughts on I it. I think that's a really interesting question. Absolutely, Mary. Yeah. Thanks for asking it. And hopefully we've spurred some thoughts for you all to carry on with uh, throughout the rest of the week. That's our show for this week. Many thanks for making it all the way to the end. Sorry, we don't have a prize, but but I'll see what I can do. If you want to join us again next week, we're going to be delving into the topic of regeneration, this essential part of our spiritual growth that Swedenborg talks about. Hope to see you there, and I hope you have a great week. Swedenborg and Life is Amy Aquarola, Morgan Beard, Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Matthew Childs, Alexa Cole, John Connolly, Cara Dom, Chris Dunn, Stuart Farmer, Ben Keyes, Reed McArdle, Chelsea Odner, Jonathan Rose, Shiloh Silverman, and Shada Sullivan.